Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of the MetaPortal podcast. I'm AG, and uh, as always, I'm here with Dark Horse Capital, my friend and co-methodologist on the Metaverse Index. And uh, today we have Nick Tomeno as our guest, who is a founder and a partner at One Confirmation. One Confirmation has been really forward-looking with DeFi as well as NFTs, and have recently invested in Index Corp. So. We're really excited to have Nick on to talk about all of those different areas of, of crypto. Nick, th- thanks for coming on. How are you doing? I'm great, guys. How are you? Yeah, yeah, pretty good. Um, as always, a lot, a lot going on to keep all of us busy. Um, Nick, for those who are sort of not familiar with uh, your background, as well as maybe one confirmation, could you give a kind of quick intro of yourself and, and the firm? what you guys do sure uh, i was just a random dude on the internet back in 2012 and like a lot of people i read an article about this magic internet money called bitcoin and i've always been curious and kind of cared more about the internet than the world around me i would say and so yeah, i read that article um fell down the rabbit hole and have been kind of deep in the space ever since. So is that that's the, uh, the, the, the rough background. And uh, how about one confirmation kind of when and, and why you started the fund and kind of how, how, how has it progressed over time? Well, I joined Coinbase in 2013 and I was kind of a utility guy at Coinbase, kind of figuring things out on the business development, marketing, community building side, really whatever uh, the founders needed. And I loved that experience. Obviously it was an exciting time back in 2013 when uh, Bitcoin first started going mainstream and we were uh, onboarding merchants like Overstock um, and Dish Network and Dell and all these you know brand name merchants, which of course wasn't that useful um, for the business for Coinbase, but it was useful for perception and making people think that you know Bitcoin was more legitimate. And so basically, I had a great experience at Coinbase, but Coinbase got too big and bureaucratic for me. I love working with startups and. I, you know, think that the crypto movement is the most important kind of macro uh, movement of of our lifetime. And so I kind of wanted to do something pushing the space forward in crypto, uh, wanted to work with startups. And so one confirmation was kind of the natural progression. Um, And really the idea, we were one of the first venture funds to uh, take this hybrid approach where we invest in cryptocurrencies and in companies. And the idea was, you know, to provide not just capital to early stage projects, but also support on the business development, marketing, community building side, similar to, you know, what I did at Coinbase. And um, yeah, we launched that in 2017 and we've been having a lot of fun and uh, riding the the macro wave in crypto like everyone else. Yeah, I think uh, you guys were definitely quite early and, and made a few of really forward-looking calls has been really exciting to to see. Obviously, I think Dark Forest and myself entering the space a bit a bit later. Um, so you you said something like uh, crypto is the most important movement of, of our lifetime. Can you elaborate a little bit? Like in in which way? It's like we look at I think 
at this point, like we are focusing on the metaverse and we see that as immense underpinned by crypto and NFTs. But do, do you see sort of metaverse as part of that movement or is there something else that, that you sort of talk about? Oh, metaverse is a big part of the movement. Yeah, I mean, it, I guess it, it depends how you define the metaverse. I mean, a lot of people bucket the metaverse into VR or gaming or something like that. But I see it as a much kind of broader trend, um, which is the trend of more people around the world believing that the internet is real life uh, rather than the physical world. Um, I think, you know, if you look at the world today, there's still more people that kind of view the physical world as real life. Um, but I think more and more people around the world are viewing the internet as actually more real than the physical world. And I think that trend is only going to continue. I think one reason for that is that more people can be better off with that as the, uh, as reality and the physical world is you know not great for a lot of people and the internet and, and you know crypto is empowering to a lot of people and so i see kind of this metaverse trend being really kind of one in the same with the crypto trend in a lot of ways and, and i think it's ethereum you know is becoming the digital record for property for the metaverse and it really a lot of people are waiting for vr and 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 better games and stuff like that to happen which i think will happen in time but uh the, yeah i think in a lot of ways the metaverse is already here and it's happening with with ethereum and nfts so it sounds like i think in in a, in a futuristic sense right we see as sort of that vr ar integration as 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 seamless overlay right of sort of virtual world on top of the real world. But to me, it sounds like you're saying that like metaverse is here now and it's mostly like web three, right? Like it's web three is the movement that takes us to this metaverse powered by blockchain and NFT tech. Well, what is web three to you? I mean, web three is another buzzword, but I mean, specifically what I'm talking about is if you look at the NFT landscape right now, right? There's a lot of people, myself included, that uh, have a lot more, you know, property on Ethereum than property in the real world. And that is a sign that people are caring more about the internet than the real world. And I think that trend, we're still early in it, but there's, there's definitely, um, you know, a lot of people already that kind of believe that. And so that's a lot of people and most people in the world, I think they, you know, they might need a more kind of uh, direct physical representation on the internet. But I think for someone like myself and probably you guys, that's not even needed to, to believe that the internet is more important than the real world. Is that then sort of the thesis behind some of the, well, most NFTs, but like the premier NFT collections, that they're more valuable because they're digital native? They're more valuable because people, more people believe, they, why do more people think that they're valuable? Well, there's more people on the internet. There's more people to show off your 
your NFT to than there is your house, for example, right? So, I mean, there's a lot of reasons why people believe that NFTs are more valuable than than physical. I think it's still we're in the the minority that you know in, of the world that still believe that, of course, by a long shot. But I think that's where you know the world is headed. Yeah. No. Absolutely. So you guys were really early and and made some of the early investments in uh, marketplaces like SuperRare as well as um, OpenSea. I think like the Metaverse Index we hold Rari at the moment and and are looking to add the Rare token as well. How do you see kind of the future of these NFT marketplaces playing out? Right? Are they going to just stay marketplaces or are there opportunities to expand sort of the services maybe you know the first crypto native social network will come from one of these marketplaces how, how yeah like what what is the the marketplace thesis that you guys have well the thesis is very simple i mean there's uh, crypto is enabling lots of new asset classes and the the awesome thing is those asset classes because they're on you know an open blockchain like ethereum they're uh, asset classes that are accessible uh, to the whole world. And when you can be a marketplace that makes that new asset class uh, more accessible and you build a strong brand around that, you can create a massive value. And, you know, Coinbase was that, right? Um, Coinbase was really the first trusted marketplace that allowed people to buy Bitcoin. And, if you can great, create a, 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 a nice product, um, that's a massive business, right? Uh, so I, I see, you know, OpenSea for NFTs broadly, SuperRare for, you know, one-of-one crypto art broadly, a Catalog for one-of-one music, you know, DYDX for decentralized derivatives. We've got a bunch of portfolio projects that are just marketplaces for, these new global asset classes. And, um, you know, we're, we're very much going to continue there. We, we think that's, uh, it's, you know, very simple when you lay it out, but we, we, we think it's still not widely understood. And um, there's going to be many more kind of new types of asset classes that open blockchains like Ethereum, uh, you know, enable. And we just want to be, you know, investing in these products that are making them more accessible. Yeah, that, that makes sense. I think audio, like audio-based NFTs are really interesting. And, and I, I don't think there's a kind of a, they're widely talked about or uh, many people are aware of uh, some of those platforms. Can you talk a little bit about like what what is the model for audio-based NFTs and how it differs from perhaps uh, visual and picture-based NFT collections? Well, there's a few different models. Catalog, you know, which I'm most familiar with is pretty simple, right? It's uh, it's super rare for audio NFTs. And so if you're an independent artist that wants to, you know, connect in a deeper way with your true fans and make some money, you mint an audio file on the Ethereum blockchain, which you can sell as a kind of scarce, authentic one of one to a fan. And um, it's just a great way, one, for, you know, the artists to monetize their true fans um, and two, for the artists to align 
with their fans and, and, and allow the fans to actually profit from, you know, the success of the artist. So I think the big question here with audio, with, with this type of audio NFT is, are people going to believe that these things have value, right? Because it, it's, it's very much belief-based value, just like, you know, visual art. Now there's other approaches to this, which are trying to tie digital rights and things like that to an NFT. So a collector can actually earn uh, like an income stream from, you know, the, the future earnings of a, of a particular song. And I think that's a cool idea too. That's a little more complex. And I think there's a lot of hurdles there. And I like the kind of scarce authentic one of one sales better because it's there's less kind of regulatory hoops you need to jump through there's less hoops in terms of the existing consumer platforms that you need to you know get buy-in from things like that so those are kind of the two approaches right now that 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 i've seen for for audio nfts and um yeah i think mostly we're kind of waiting for audio to have its kind of beeple like moment where you have early collectors that buy it for really cheap and then you have um you know these massive sales that come later that kind of trigger this uh mimetic belief and all of a sudden everyone believes that these things have value yeah absolutely i think uh we wrote an article uh this three months ago about like the mimetic power of uh, play to earn right and how all of these assets that that we see with with crypto or play to earn or NFTs, like they have very little fundamental value, and and you know, so people call them memes. But if you look at stocks or some some of these other things, they're sort of memes as well, and and like fundamental ratios, like price to sales, price to earnings, whatever, they're memes as well, right? It's all sort of whatever people choose to believe in accrues value. And, and that's where I think we see the, the transition from kind of traditional investments to um, internet native investments that will occur through kind of the generational change. So that's, that's really kind of excited, exciting and, and NFTs and audio NFTs really fit into that. What's, what's your take on like, financialization of NFTs and, and unlocking kind of the, the liquidity for those products. Because right now, right, if it's a one-of-one one or if it's a punk, it's, it's sort of just that, right? It's utility is limited in the, in the ecosystem. And it, it feels like there, there's an opportunity there to uh, make some of these uh, financialization technologies to unlock uh, the value and, and unlock some of the utility. Uh, do you see that space sort of uh, developing further than like the fractional platforms that we have now? And and what are some of those kind of use cases? Well, when you buy financialization, are you talking about fractionalization? That's I think that's like one of the use cases, right? It could be using NFTs as collateral uh, specific platforms for that. It, it could be more like loans against NFTs but not in the platform sense, but more like a DAO that, mm -hmm. that would create that. So I think there's there are a lot of different options there, but only fractionalization 
seems to have been kind of worked on at the moment? Well, I think, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, it's an area that we're definitely interested in. I think I'm not convinced that illiquidity in NFTs is actually a bug. It actually might be a feature. And what I mean by that is when a NFT is like, isn't accessible to a lot of people, I think it tends to cause belief to actually increase and, and value also increases. And one thing we've seen from uh, fractionalization so far is particularly the uh, party DAO like structure, which is, um, you know, you have an auction and you allow you know anyone to to participate. I do love the idea of making these more inclusive, kind of in theory. But in practice, I think what we've seen happen is it's kind of transferring ownership from strong hands to weak hands, and having a liquid NFTs that are held by strong hands is such a big part of what's driving belief. Specifically, you know, an example of this is I'm sure you guys saw the, um, you know, the the Doge meme um, that the I think it was the Pleaser DAO bought and then, you know, fractionalized it and, and sold it, and the uh, you know the price crashed because you have this you know strong-handed DAO that holds the thing, then they it you know they they mark it up a lot, they auction it off to the crowd, you know, at a really high price, and you have all these, uh, you know, much smaller, weaker hands that then, you know, dump the thing and that causes belief in it to decrease. So I think it's still super early here and I'm definitely interested in experimentation with, you know, all sorts of financialization, as you call it, techniques. But yeah, I guess particularly ones that are trying to solve for liquidity, I think there's definitely a lot that's going to happen here and it's still very early, but I guess the early fractionalization techniques have not been super uh, inspiring. And I think there's still, uh, you know, a chance that, that the, you know, the illiquidity here is actually, uh, you know, a feature, not a bug. Yeah. It's interesting. Like Dark Forest and myself have been talking about like NFTs as an investment and, I've been sort of trying to convince him that the NFT should be part of a portfolio, right? Because they diversify the the exposure, like the the diversify the exposure to, to to risk. It's a different investment profile completely that doesn't necessarily correlate as well with uh, some of the traditional crypto assets, and and we sort of see that and and. Perhaps part of it is the liquidity, especially in the top tier collections, right? Because most of the people who needed to sell have sold a while ago. So now it's really strong hands that are holding these collections. And so the floor doesn't really move in line with, with the market. And that's really a feature, a feature, like you said, it's not, it's not really a bug. What, what's your take on portfolio allocation to some of the top tier NFT collections. Do you think it's warranted, like as a as an investment decisions, or or do you think it's uh, sort of not necessary at, at this point? Well, I guess it depends. That's a very general question, and I would never make 
you know, investment advice to someone, you know, without knowing their risk profile, uh, first and foremost, but I, I guess for a venture fund like us, um, that has, you know, a high risk threshold, um, and, you know, with the, with the perspective that these things could go to zero or they could be 20 X plus, I think if you have that kind of risk profile, then yes, I think, you know, NFTs are, you know, a good category to be allocating capital to. I mean, we are, you know, investing in, in NFTs as a fund. So clearly we, you know, we believe that. Yeah. Let's, uh, let's talk about your vault a little bit. Cause you have a lot of, uh, or, or several, Super Air 101s like uh, Hackatow and, and some others. And uh, recently you wrote an article about nouns and, and sort of why you like them. W what else What else do you guys hold in, in your vault? Um, and maybe we can talk a little bit about nouns as well and, and use thesis there. Well, we, we haven't made our whole uh, portfolio public. I mean, we, we started in January. And I think we were the first kind of venture fund to at least publicly announce that we were, uh, you know, buying an NFT. And that NFT was Robbie Barat's AI generated nude portrait number one, which is the Genesis mint on super rare. Um, and we got it, uh, we bought it for a number of reasons, but, uh, you know, for, from an investment perspective, because we thought it, it was a, you know, asymmetric bet that could, you know, return the fund if, you know, we were right or, you know, or it could go to zero. And, um, you know, I think that first, you know, we had a unique insight there as well, because we were obviously bullish on super air. And in addition to loving the artists and the artwork, we also loved the platform and having, you know, the Genesis mint on what we, we believe can be the, you know, the kind of you know, most important crypto art, uh, marketplace, you know, we thought would be a good bet. So, yeah, I mean, you know, in our, we, we, I wrote a blog post recently kind of describing how we think about investing in NFTs. And there's, you know, a, there's a framework that we have that kind of involves uh, the authenticity of the project. Is this something new that's pushing the space forward in any way, or is this just a derivative? Um, there's a lot of money. There's a lot of ways to make money in NFTs and there's been massive money made by people uh, on derivatives, but that's definitely not something that we're uh, interested in backing. And we, because we don't, we, you know, we don't believe that the, the derivatives have the most kind of asymmetric upside. So, yeah, I mean, I would encourage everyone to check out that blog post that we wrote that kind of uh, lays it out in, in um, some detail. But um, yeah, that's kind of how we think about, I guess, investing in the category. Great. And uh, what's, do you have a, an opinion or, or view on sort of loot and that the, the bottom-up way of, of building kind of the ecosystem? I mean, loot, loot is cool. Um, you know, it was, it, it, it was a interesting idea. I think it became this kind of Silicon Valley bubble type uh, mania where a lot of people within Silicon Valley who maybe missed NFTs kind of glammed on to loot and kind of, you know, championed it as this hugely innovative thing. When in reality, you know, this idea of 
building like a bottom up game has been uh, around since uh, CryptoKitties, which is you know one of the first uh, you know ERC seven twenty one projects back in uh, twenty I think late twenty seventeen early twenty eighteen. So yeah, I mean loot is cool, um, and maybe there will be an ecosystem that emerges around it. But I think it was one of these projects where the meme caught fire and went way beyond the reality of the, you know, the projects right now. Um, so that, that's how I would describe loot. Yeah, that, that's helpful. Cause I think at, at one point it was just all over, all over crypto Twitter and everyone was, was getting excited. There were different copies and forks of it and things built for it, but it seems to have sort of died down a little bit at, at this point. And I think that really question, like whether the community can, keep developing high quality content for it as, as a, like, that's a long-term sustainable strategy at all. Let's talk a little bit about maybe higher level um, metaverse concept. What's your take on open metaverse versus a bit more of a closed or corporate metaverse, whether it's Facebook or some, some of the other corporations, like what, where do you see where do you see the metaverse sort of going? Is it more corporate route? Is it more open? Is it a combination of the two? How do you see that playing out? Well, yeah, I think in the in the medium term, clearly it's going to be a combination of the two. I mean, Zuckerberg is um, you know making it his buzzword um, and you know talking about it in the press and is going to use that to uh, you know kind of co-opt the narrative um, and capture as much value for Facebook. You know, there's other companies that I'm sure will will make big pushes to have their own kind of metaverse uh, plays and things like that. Um, I think, as I said, I mean, the metaverse already exists and it's happening, uh, you know, on Ethereum. Um, and, you know, everything that's happening in NFTs right now is, is the metaverse and, and Ethereum is, becoming the ledger for digital property for the open metaverse. So um, I think how it manifests itself in, in terms of like a visual to people, you know, whether that's in VR or, or games um, is still very much TBD. I think the winning approach will be kind of, you know the, the products that leverage uh, Ethereum as the record for for digital property. So yeah, I think and there there'll probably be some success. It's su it's such a massive trend that there's going to be some success from corporates as well and some confusion on what is the metaverse for quite a long time. But um, yeah, we're most excited about you know projects whether it's a decentralized social network that's building on Ethereum that kind of leverages. Um, NFTs to give people, uh, you know, their own digital identity on, you know, the, the the Ethereum blockchain, or whether it's games that are leveraging Ethereum to, you know, to to build, you know, their own worlds where you can use NFTs. That's all stuff we're we're very excited about. And again, I think this is going to be just a massive trend that 
is probably overhyped right now, just like, you know, NFTs were overhyped back in 2017, just like in, in the short term, just like, you know, Bitcoin was overhyped back in 2013 in the short term. Uh, you have these kind of booms and busts, and it's probably a, a kind of short-term boom that we're in in, in, in terms of metaverse. And I think there's going to be kind of this crash um, where most mainstream people leave, and that's where it's going to be the best time to build and invest. And then there's going to be a you know a much greater boom. Yeah, I think uh, for us, it's like clearly visible in the play-to-earn space, right? Because of Axie's success, there is uh, all of a sudden dozens of games being built with that concept, but without a clear idea of how to balance a, a play-to-earn economy or how to make it sustainable. So I, I do look forward to talking to you about play-to-earn. Before we go there, I want to talk to you about like, digital identity right and if and and how you see like digital nations versus physical nations are we ever going to get to the point where there is the separation between the two but also acknowledgement of the rights of digital nations uh by physical nations how how do you see that i'm not sure i understand the question exactly i mean in the U.S., for example, the, the physical nation does recognize the rights of, you know, the, the digital nation that is in Bitcoin. And, and there's legal recognition that, you know, Bitcoin and, you know, and different, different uh, regulatory bodies have, have actually different views of it. But for, by the IRS, for example, recognizes that it is uh, a property. So um, I guess maybe elaborate on your question because that already is happening. Yeah. So what I'm thinking, right, is can you at some point be a, a citizen of the Ethereum nation, for example, right? And and have have that citizenship carry certain rights, right, within the within the that digital Ethereum nation space. And then those rights be recognized by physical states. Well, again, that is that that already is happening. Is it not? I think that in in some way, yes. But I think I don't think we in in Ethereum or in crypto in general think of ourselves as a digital nation. We see like I think we mostly see ourselves as like a layer on top of the physical world but not necessarily a nation, we're still very much tied to the existing laws and regulations of, of the physical space. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So you're, um, well, so what you're saying is, do you think, what you're asking is, do, do, do I think that physical nations will acknowledge digital nations as being outside the ju- their, their jurisdiction, even if the the people involved in them are in specific physical locations exactly yeah that's a tough question i mean not anytime soon for sure in the very long run maybe but no i mean there's still going to be a the nations that kind of control the physical are not going to give up their ownership 
you know, anytime soon. Right. And I, you know, I, I think if I'm thinking I'm, I'm in the U S so I'm thinking more on the U S like, you know, U S probably, not, you know, not anytime soon. Um, maybe some more kind of forward thinking nations that want to attract uh, great people. Um, maybe they will do that uh, much sooner. Right. So, yeah, I mean, the, I think the, the jurisdictional competition kind of side of, of, uh, crypto has always been, I think, important, and we've seen it kind of help push the space forward in different ways. I don't think maybe it's happened as fast as people thought it would, maybe five years ago when we kind of started thinking about it. But, um, but yeah, I would say for a country that you know is less powerful in the world right now that wants to uh, attract great people, I think maybe creating some, you know, specific laws around that and actually recognizing digital nations as distinct from physical and in, in different ways uh, could be a, quite an interesting approach to, uh, you know, to compete on a global level. Yeah, I'm, I'm imagining like uh, sort of something similar to, you know, special economic zones um, that that a nation sort of grants to a digitally native community like Ethereum, right? And then Ethereum community can make up certain rules and laws and regulations for that special autonomous zone through a DAO or whatever, some some other mechanism. For sure. For sure. I'm I'm an investor. Um Patry Friedman started a fund called Pronomos, which is investing in uh new cities, right? And it's it's exactly what you're referencing it's kind of taking this idea that really started in in asia and really china has has kind of pioneered it by creating these special economic zones that have laws that are distinct from the the broader country and you know hong kong is is a good example right and it's allowed you know it's it's helped china have a very strong economy despite having uh, really a communist you know approach to government in uh you know for for most of the people in the country right so we're starting to see you know different countries around the world that um want to uh compete and want to innovate create these kind of new laws for you know special regions within uh, the country and um yeah i think it would be a great idea for one of these countries to maybe carve out special laws for Ethereum uh, holders, for example. Yeah, that would be fascinating. Uh, I'm going to definitely look into the the project that that you mentioned. Before we sort of move move on from from this topic, what's your take on like the regulatory landscape in, in the U.S. Uh, in particular? I think there's there's been kind of more pressure coming out from the SEC uh, with with Gary Gensler. Do, do you think it'll lead to sort of better outcomes uh, eventually, or do you see sort of uh, harsh action moving, like driving innovation away from the U.S.? Look, I don't have a strong uh, opinion on that. I think um, I I'm most focused on you know the bleeding edge innovation that's happening on the space and. Obviously, regulation is important, and 
you know, being compliant is, is important, but in terms of how regulation involves and things like that, that's, I feel like that's, you know, out of my control in a lot of ways. And so I just kind of don't spend a lot of energy there. I think it's going to be a, a fight. And I think at the end of the day, though, what's better for people is going to win out. And clearly crypto is better, is on the side of the people. And I think for, uh, you know, the, the political class in the US that, that, that wants control and wants to control people, they're gonna fight it. And again, I, I don't have a good sense of how that fight is going to really play out um, in the, in the short term. But again, in the long term, I think it's so clear that crypto is good for people that, you know, what's good for people is ultimately going to, to, to win out. And, um, and I also think there's a lot to be said for us, you know, wanting to keep innovation and capital in the U S and, um, particularly like contrasted with China, which is, you know, taking the, you know, the, the complete control approach and banning crypto, you know, completely. I think the U.S. will ultimately want to do what's good for people. And that's to to be to allow uh, innovation to thrive. And um, so, yeah, I guess that's my long term view on how, how regulation is going to play out. Although in the short term, you know, I, I have no strong conviction. Yeah, it's not an easy question. And I think the the response that you gave is pretty much what we're seeing sort of reflected across the space. It doesn't seem to be really hampering like any appetite for people to get into it. I think long term, the game theory of crypto is going to win out. And it does do a lot of the things that the SEC are, are you know, reporting that, that they want to do in terms of, you know, transparency and, and investor protection and opening up um, finance for more people. So I tend to agree with uh, what you said there, Nick. Um, I just want to jump back really quickly to the uh, special economic zones and what you guys were talking about there. I, I have to imagine that if Ethereum was being recognized by physical states, um, but they were treating it as though it was like a, you know, a special, it had special economic rights or something, that in order for that to take place, you'd have to, re- you'd have, to have some property on Ethereum. So whether that's tokens uh, as part of a DAO, or NFTs that you've purchased. Um, so earlier on in the podcast, you said something relating to how Ethereum is allowing property ownership, uh, digital property ownership, and that's global and accessible. So I wanted to ask you, do you have any thoughts about how we make sure that the same thing that we see in like housing markets worldwide, where some people are left out and are unable to take that first step onto the ladder, how do we make sure that doesn't happen in crypto? And what you know, what things exist that, that mean that it, it does remain accessible? Yeah, it's a really good question. I think, well, specifically, you know, as it relates to Ethereum, I think one of the great things about crypto is that there's always like something that comes next. And and those things that come next, while they aren't the they they often aren't authentic and and really kind of innovating, sometimes they are, but often they aren't, but they still do a good job of bringing more people in because, you know, they're cheaper 
really. And so, you know, when I look at something like Solana, while I'm personally not a fan of Solana because I don't, I haven't yet seen something that it's really uh, enabling uh, in terms of use cases that are pushing the space forward in any way. At the same time, I, I, it is, you know, bringing new people in and it is, you know, making things more accessible. And I think the, you know, the copycats or the variants or whatever you want to call them uh, do a really good job at, you know, bringing new people in. And, you know, for Ethereum, that's, you know, that that's layer two technologies as well. So, um, yeah, I think the, 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 the nature of the beast may be that, you know, the Ethereum mainnet is not super accessible for, for everyone, but the, you know, the technologies that are built on top or inspired by, you know, Ethereum will be, and that's also really good for Ethereum, right? I think, you know, one of the worst things about the space is the tribalism. And, you know, I felt this strongly back in like 2014 or 15 when, um, you know, I was really, to start, I was a Bitcoin maximalist, like a lot of people in Bitcoin were. And I saw like, you know, all the shit coins that were created um, that weren't really doing anything new. And so, you know, I felt a certain way about them. But then Ethereum came along and I saw something really new and unique that it was doing to push the whole space forward. And um, a lot of people at that time were, you know, pitting them against each other and, you know, making it this really this kind of tribal war. When I viewed, you know, Ethereum as really the best thing that could happen to Bitcoin because it was, it was pushing the space forward. Bitcoin is the authentic crypto and I think is going to benefit from all the innovation that happens. And, but Ethereum was kind of this catalyst that enabled all these new applications and brought a whole bunch of new people in, right? So that's kind of how I think about the, the, the space progressing and more people coming in is that, you know, Ethereum is going to be a core part of it and going to continue to, to benefit, uh, maybe benefit in, you know, in the biggest way possible, but there's going to be lots of other inspired technologies that, you know, that, that, bring in new people and, and make things more accessible. Yeah, that's a great answer. Thank you, Nick. Um, I had a similar experience with Solana. I, I went and had a peek around and tried to figure it out and, and also felt that it was, there was a lot of things that were just replicated from Ethereum with the word Sol or Solana somehow incorporated. And so I sort of struggled with, with the authenticity side of that. Um, let's... Just staying on this topic sort of more broadly, if we go back to the example of the uh, the Pleaser DAO purchase of the Doge meme, given what you've just said, how do you square uh, the other thing that you said, which was um, you see this like strong hands to weak hands and that crashes the price? That actually allows more people to own that thing, which was perhaps out of reach for them earlier. Like, is it possible to square those two ideas where we both want things accessible, but we also want the authentic, the authentic things to like retain their value. Yeah, yeah, and that's a great question. I think it's so early in Doge that like I'm not writing that off. Um, 
and at the end of the day, if if the price crashing doesn't deter belief, then it, it, you know in the long term, then the thing could still be massively successful. I do think for something like an NFT, though, it might be the case that belief begets belief in a more even extreme way than like a cryptocurrency. And if there's not something like new to catalyze belief, then, you know, it might be, it, it might have more of a negative effect. Do you see what I mean? Like, you know, Ethereum, you know, it can have its booms and busts and a cryptocurrency can have its booms and busts, but things are being built on top of it. There's all this innovation happening and new applications that, like you know, DeFi summer or like NFTs come come out and really kind of catalyze new belief in it. For something like an NFT, that's less likely to be the case. And so, while price crashing clearly doesn't mean that belief is going to be lost, cryptocurrencies are uh, you know uh, the, the the perfect kind of uh, proof point to that. I think in NFTs, prices crashing could be more of a kind of uh, of an impact in the, the long-term belief, um, but not, but not definitively, right. It's still super early here and I'm certainly not tied to that, uh, kind of hypothesis, but, um, but that's kind of my thinking on that. Yeah, I totally get what you're saying. I think the way that I was looking at it is something that I'd love to see is, you know, please Adele fans together, invest in something like the Doge NFT, uh, they then fractionalize it. A community gets to own it, but through that transfer from like the initially strong hands to the weaker hands, that will then reverse. And over time, as more options become available for things that you can do with NFTs and the community that's formed around it, they could actually bring back more value to it than it had initially. So you, it sort of goes full circle. And, and what you end up with, with is a community built around this fractionalized NFT because you have a ton of people with loads of different ideas and different input that, that form a community around it. So I think if that was the eventual end state, like that would be a, a fantastic outcome. Uh -huh, uh -huh. Yeah, that's good. That's a good thought. There's certainly um, future utility that communities could bring to, you know, fractionalized NFTs that catalyze kind of new belief. So yeah, I, I, I like that idea. Cool. Okay. So say, staying on a similar sort of track then and, and talking more about um, DAOs, I'd say it's more like a, a formal version of the NFT communities that we're starting to see spring up now. Um, we mentioned at the beginning, you're invested in Index Cooperative itself. Uh, and that that is obviously a DAO. Um, how do you see like decentralized organizations fitting into crypto as a whole, everything that we've talked about so far, you know, that interaction between uh, physical and virtual um, like governance systems and uh, communities. Is it all a new paradigm or do you think it's it's a flash in the pan? Like what, what do you see coming from all of this? Well, clearly DAOs are super hyped right now, right? Like if you, uh, you know, if you tweet about a DAO, you get a thousand retweets and um, it's this kind of meme within crypto that, uh, that everyone loves right now. Um, and for good reason, I think in a lot of ways, um, you know, it's when you have, you know, these kind of memes like this that uh, 
that get so hot, I think it's a, it's an indication that the the long term trend is real. But I think you know it's also maybe true that the short term hype is a little overdone, and there's a lot of open questions about DAOs, right? Like when you talk about a DAO, there's really there's really two aspects of an organization that you're decentralizing, right? You're decentralizing the ownership and you're decentralizing the decision-making and the decentralizing the ownership just makes a ton of sense, right? You're align, you're able to align uh, your users with, uh, you know, your yourselves as the creator and the investors. And it's, it's, it's very powerful, right? Um, but I think the decentralizing decision-making aspect is still very much kind of TBD in, in, in how, you know, it works in practice and, and how effective truly decentralized organizations can be um, at, at innovating in particular. So I think, you know, if you're a DAO that has product market fit and has a, an existing product that doesn't need to evolve at all, you know, a decentralized decision-making structure where that relies on like on-chain voting, for example, can be okay. But if you're any type of product that needs to evolve, I don't think the kind of one coin, one vote type of uh, governance structure that DeFi projects like uh, you know Uniswap and and others have is is sufficient. It's actually one reason why you know we're very bullish on Polkadot and the Polkadot ecosystem because they are doing something very, which is very unique. It's not just like building this more scalable blockchain or something like that. It's having this kind of raw, radical approach to on-chain governance where you have not uh, one coin, one vote uh, on all decisions, but you have councils that are elected and you have this, you know, th this very rigid, uh, you know, decision-making process that, you know, allows the council to make decisions unless the, the majority of token holders disagree with it, in which case there's, you know, checks and balances and things like that. So, yeah, I know that was a bunch, but that's kind of my general thoughts on uh, where we are in DAOs right now. Oh, that was great. And um, it, so the downside that you picked up on there with the decentralized decision making, is that like your main and only concern around DAOs? And I'm interested to know like what you do during the due diligence process to like when you're looking at something like Index Co-op, what do you do to make yourself comfortable knowing that you will be interacting with uh, an early stage um, community formed around a token and and they will be responsible for decisions? Well, I think the community is the most important thing. So if we see a really strong, uh, what feels like kind of authentic community, then, you know, we get excited. And then, you know, talking to the, the you know, the core people behind it as well um, and thinking about and understanding how they're, they're thinking about decision-making. I think, again, when you, when you hear a DAO, there's really a lot of different approaches to decision-making and some projects or DAOs, you know, calling themselves DAOs, but really just kind of riding that kind of narrative and, you know, keeping a, a pretty centralized decision-making structure. And maybe that's okay if they have a good plan to, you know, decentralizing over time, you know, things like that. So yeah, that, that's how we, 
we think about it, it's, it's, it's really, you know, the same way we think about investing in a company, it's the, the products, you know, and, and the people. And sometimes it's, you know, it's a broader set of people than just, you know, a founder or a co-founder. It's, it's a community. Um, but um, yeah, that, that's how we think about it. Yeah, that definitely makes a lot of sense. I think the, uh, the community was definitely a strong point for both myself and AG and getting involved with the index co-op. And uh, we've, we've recently sort of been in the midst of um, a move to become more autonomous, that decentralization over time that you just mentioned. So we're, we're right in the thick of it at the moment with the index co-op. Yeah. Uh, so we're, we're kind of coming up towards an hour. So I'm going to start wrapping up shortly, but I, I wanted to ask you a bit more about your investments more generally, um, how you think of them and, and maybe a bit about what you're up to. So I know that you've been credited with like seeing some DeFi projects really early before everybody else did and, and moving in uh, during the right time during the bear market. Um, and then like fantastic call getting involved with OpenSea and, and super rare and then NFTs kind of hit their stride. So without obviously being too specific, whatever you're comfortable with, can I ask you a bit about where are you looking now? Yeah. I mean, I think we've, we've kind of touched on a lot of it throughout, you know, this conversation. I mean, we like to invest in things kind of before they're hyped and particularly because we're investing at the early stage. I think when something becomes very hyped, often you already have like the, the leaders that are, you know, that are formed. And so, well, I, I still think, you know, investing in open right now is probably going to be a good investment for growth investors. You know, we, 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 we have great exposure there through our early stage investment and we want to be investing kind of in the next, you know, the open sea of like whatever the next major category is. So I think um, in terms of some of the, you know, the ideas of what that is, I think we're, we're very interested in kind of DeFi and NFTs for the masses. So, you know, you kind of touched on it, like, Ethereum is pricing out a lot of people right now. Um, and we think there's going to be a lot of products that are on, you know, maybe new blockchains like, or, or ecosystems like Polkadot uh, or, or, or Cosmos um, or on new kind of L2 solutions, you know, like Polygon or Optimism. Um, we're thinking about like kind of the application layer for some of these new chains, similar to how Ethereum 2017 felt, where you know there's a lot of excitement and interest. Uh, there's not many interesting applications, and so yeah, I think we 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 want to continue to be kind of pushing the space forward. And I think the applications that are emerging, kind of on those you know, you know next gen uh, infrastructures, are going to likely be uh, pushing the space forward in a big way. So at a, at a general level, I think that gives you a sense for kind of what we're excited about. Yeah, got it. And like, just anecdotally, it feels like these um, like next big thing things keep getting closer and closer together. Are we at a point now where there's just so much going on that it's all overlapping and there's, there's things going on all the time? Like kind of where I'm going with this is, in a nutshell, are you a believer in the super cycle or are we going to adhere to like the four year cycle and everything's going to cool off? And that's when it's time to go like finding those hidden narratives. I'm not sure. I, I don't, um, I'm not great at 
timing markets. I think what I'm great is at is like, you know, identifying really impactful, you know, products and technologies that are going to uh, have major cultural impacts in, you know, five to 10 years. So the super cycle is a good thing to, you know, tweet about and, you know, espouse your belief in and things like that. And I, I don't have strong conviction there. So I just, you know, the great, what I love about the, the type of investing we do, which is kind of long-term kind of venture capital style is that we're not, you know, in the business of, of timing markets. So yeah, that's kind of how, how I think about timing. It's certainly possible that, you know, what people are calling a super cycle is, is real. And, um, you know, that's going to continue. That would be great. But, you know, I think there's so many things that could happen to stop that as well. And it's really just impossible to time these things, uh, in my view. So that's, you know, we, we take a long-term approach and I would say it's never been more exciting to be, uh, as I'm sure you, you guys are feeling too, like just living and breathing crypto. And so, you know, it feels it right now, but, um, there's also a lot of factors that could, you know, slow things down. And, you know, we've, I I've seen five booms and busts. And so it's just, I, I, I don't know uh, where we're at in this, in this cycle, but I do know that the long-term trend is, is quite positive. Yeah, definitely. And it seems like that long-term view has really paid off for you so far anyway. So it's not like, uh, yeah, you'd want to be doing anything different. I don't think. No, we love cool. it. We love it. It's like, look, you don't, um, you don't get as much attention in the short term, uh, maybe as you know the the, the traders and the um, and and things like that. But um, yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, I think you know we're just believers in in kind of the long term and want to be you know supporting the the uh, you know the people that are pushing the things forward in the biggest way. And um, yeah, it's certainly a lot of fun. Yeah, me and AJ definitely having a lot of fun um, chasing everything around going from DeFi to metaverse to whatever's going to come next thanks very much for coming on today nick it's been fantastic to have you and, and hear your thoughts on all of these different topics do you want to let everybody know how they can like follow you uh, learn a bit more about one confirmation perhaps uh sure just uh twitter i guess is best uh at nt money on twitter and um Hopefully soon on a, uh, you can follow me on a, a Ethereum-based social network as well. <laughs> yeah, awesome. We'll look out for that. All right. Thanks very much, Nick. It's great to have you. Thanks, guys. See ya. Thanks, Nick. Appreciate it. Bye.